0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome. to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: Happy Thursday to you. It is also Atlanta Braves Pride Night. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now. Today's show is going to be a mixture of actual stuff from today and a little bit of some prior segments kind of spliced together for you as well, because I got to be at the Roxy, 5 o'clock to represent my softball league. If you're going, come say hi, pre-party from 520 to 720 before first pitch, and uh, as long as the weather holds out anyway, it, we've been really ble- Today, I think we might hit 80 degrees, and it's been kind of breezy and overcast and sunny, a little mix of that, this and that, and uh, it's been quite enjoyable. Hopefully, that will continue throughout the remainder of the day. Can I just tell you, I was watching NBC Nightly News, Um, was this Yesterday? Was it yesterday? I can't believe this was just yesterday. Or maybe it was the day before. I think it was two days ago. Can't keep up anymore. Um, Because I watch so much news, and there's been so much coming at us lately. There was an article, I'm sorry, an article, a story on NBC Nightly News. Catch my Lester Holt every night, somewhere around 6.30, if not a little after. Thank you, YouTube TV, for that delay feature. And uh, the uh, story was basically bemoaning the fact that the Georgia peach crop is going to be way down, comparable to past years, down by about ninety percent, according to this story. And they cited a peach farm in McDonough. God bless them. God bless them. Um, this was uh, Southern Bell Farm in McDonough. I didn't realize we had uh, a peach and strawberry farm that I could go go berries at uh, in McDonough, but I'm gonna go check that out anyway. Jake Carter, I believe, is the owner at Southern Bell Farm, and the story basically talked about how this past winter, which was really mild, you remember it, right? It was a really mild winter by most standards, e- even for Georgia. It was a pretty mild winter. We didn't have like long, prolonged cold snaps, except of course. For the uh, Christmas Eve water pipe palooza scenario that played out. That was crazy. But by and large, we had a mild February, and then we had like a little bit of a cold snap after that, and then it got to be mild again, and it kind of stayed mild. We had a pretty subdued spring, too, actually. Not overly hot. Um, But it was that mild February where we saw a lot of things blooming early, There was, back in my hometown, the bemoaning of the early bloom of the azaleas. Oh, the Augusta National is not going to be as pretty for the masters. Of course, the Augusta National is always going to be pretty for the masters. They make that happen. But there was a lot of early blooming going on. And it turns out that the peach trees bloomed really early in February. And so we may have had an early crop, except we had that freeze that came right after it. And pretty much killed off, again, upwards of estimates are 90% of Georgia's peach crop. Now, you may ask, but isn't Georgia not even the top peach-producing state anymore? Well, that's true. It's not. I think it's third now. And I don't I don't know who's second, but I think South Carolina. I know South Carolina is one of the top two. I think it's number one. Maybe it's Alabama or Mississippi. I don't know. Uh, could be Florida. You know what? No. I think it's California. Now that I think about it, I think it's California. Anyway, California's got their own issues, of course, with the drought. South Carolina's weather this winter wasn't all that much different, and they're going to see similar cuts in the uh, crop yield from this season. It just means peaches are going to be really expensive, which really sucks because I love peaches. Uh, And peach cobblers. (laughs) And peach tea. I wonder if the Arizona—you know how Arizona tea has stayed the same price for like 30 years? I wonder if the Arizona peach tea is going to go up because the peaches. I mean, I don't think it's real peach flavoring, but I could be wrong. Anyway, Jake Carter is the owner of Southern Bell Farm in McDonough, Georgia, and he made a statement that just, like, I want to feel bad for the guy. I think it's a locally owned, family owned business. But when you say stuff like, at the end of the day, it's the good Lord and Mother Nature For whatever happens next. No, Jake. I mean, okay, listen. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm never one that can't eye roll and hear somebody say, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. No, Jesus, don't take the wheel. Jesus gave you the ability to hold the wheel yourself and the knowledge to know how to operate the vehicle, right? I mean, I'm not even religious, and that would be my take on it. No, you don't just give it up to Jesus. Jesus gives you the cognition and the ability to drive the car. But I also think your good Lord, your Savior, whatever you worship, gives you the ability to accept what you or your fellow human learns. Mother Nature, um, I mean, okay, if you're just going to chalk it up to deities doing things, maybe maybe Mother Nature's mad at you, Jake, I'm, and I'm not putting this all on Jake, but we can't just stop and go, well, the good Lord's going to do what the good Lord's going to do. No, the good Lord or Mother Nature or, or whatever, Earth is telling us, it doesn't like what we're doing to it. God doesn't like what we're doing to his creation, her creation, their creation. And I, I talk all the time about how we spend $800 billion a year defending this nation while we also, and by, and by the way, you know, that, that money is handed over, hand over fist from moderates and conservatives, left and right, who expend all that money to defend our turf while we let businesses inside our borders desecrate said turf. I don't get it. Why do we want to? Why do we want to spend so much money to defend something that we're allowing business and industry to trash? It, it makes no sense. Jake, I want Southern Bell Farms. I want all Georgia farms, all American, I want all farms to do well. But we all know that climate change is going to impact farming. It just is. Where do Farms usually exist in the exurbs and rural parts of the country. And how do the exurbs and rural parts of Georgia and the rest of the country tend to vote? Yeah. They're not voting for the good Lord, and they're not voting for Mother Nature. Well, they're certainly not voting for Mother Nature. But I I believe Earth, Mother Nature. Even God could be telling us, "Hey, um, you're supposed to be stewards for the planet, and you're pretty sh-ty at it. You're doing a really piss poor job." I'm again. I'm not. I'm not poo pooing prayer. I'm not poo pooing religion. I'm just saying we got to stop being lazy and saying. Well, it's all up to God. No, 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 stop. It's not. It's not all up to God. Jesus can't take this wheel. Okay? If we are just going to keep living uh, a carefree existence where we're just going to pretend that we don't have an impact on our own future and our children's and grandchildren's and their children's future with the decisions we make now Well, your kid or grandkid or their kid or grandkids might eventually just say, there was all this praying going on back then, but no action. And now we're living in a climate that's three to five degrees hotter and storms are even crazier than they are now. And they can't go travel to these islands along the equator anymore to vacation because they're gone. And the the people that lived in them had to leave too. And oh, by the way, they're coming to your southern border. <laughs> which our generation has decided we would just rather wall up than deal with th- these impacts. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, and again, I don't mean to single out Jake or Southern Bell Farm. I, I'd like to go there. In fact, I love strawberries, I love fresh picked strawberries, peaches too, but apparently the peach yield is going to be really down this year, which makes them more expensive. I'm just saying we, we, we got to stop with this, 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 well, The good Lord's going to do what the good Lord's going to do. No. The good Lord, God, whoever you worship, Allah, gave us the ability to learn and discern and to correct, to course correct if we are moving in a trajectory that is incompatible with our best interests. You ever hear the old phrase, that old thing ain't got the, you're talking about a dog or whatever, that old dog ain't got the common sense to get out the rain. Well, we do, right? We do. And by the way, most dogs do too. Just don't leave them leased out in the yard unable to get out from under the rain. We all do. We all have the, the sense to come out from the rain. But do we have the sense to stop damaging our climate? Do we? I, I legitimately don't know. As we deal with climbing cancer rates, and infant mortality, maternal mortality, as our diabetic numbers continue to climb due to our poor diet and food choices decisions, and the poisoning of our water and our air, the ground that we grow our crops from, the crops themselves, Do we have the common sense to alter course, or do the quarterly profit margins matter more? And at what point will the changing climate start affecting those as well? And then what do we do? The NASA headline that ought to have us all frightened beyond belief, global climate change impact on crops expected within 10 years, NASA study finds. Well, that was two years ago. So the within 10 years, part is within range, right? The story wraps with this paragraph. Even under optimistic climate change scenarios where societies enact ambitious efforts to limit global temperature rise, global agriculture is facing a new climate reality. And with the interconnectedness of the global food system impacts in even one region's breadbasket, Will be felt worldwide. That, by the way, is the quote from the NASA studies lead author, uh, Jonas Jägermeier, a crop modeler and climate scientist at NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies and the Earth Institute at Columbia University in New York City. Man, it's the inevitability of it that's really scary. And that makes me wonder, too. Are there folks that are just like, well, there's nothing we can do about it now, so let's just you know, keep on keeping on? No. <laughs> if if we can if we can make something not as awful as we're projecting to make it, can we at least arrive at the consensus that we should work to make things less awful than we're headed to? I don't know. Again, do we have the sense to come in from the rain? <laughs> it's a valid question. Or do we have to wait for the earnings reports? More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show Thursday. So you guys know, if you listen often enough, that I'm constantly railing on the fact that Atlanta just does not have enough mass transit. And yet... MARTA's trying to make some inroads. You know, they got the sales tax money, and there's been a lot of consternation between uh, city council and MARTA about where this money's going. And we all know inflation has hit everybody's wallets. It's hit MARTA's too. So MARTA's trying to – they're sort of reeling, and they're they're, they're trying to recalibrate. And we went from having 17 projects to nine, and they've been working with uh, Mayor Andre Dickens to prioritize these lines. Well, they had a big ribbon-cutting about the Summerhill line, which is a bus rapid transit line. And I don't like the fact that the AJC uses the headline that it would it. Marta breaks ground on new Atlanta transit line. Okay, I see what you did there, but it's a bus line. So don't go getting excited when you see that headline in the paper at AJC.com. Ooh, we're getting a new line. No, I'd love that new train line to the battery, but we got to get Cobb County on board first. And they're working on it. But they broke ground uh, today on... Uh, their first new, quote, transit line in more than 20 years. It's bus transit, but it's still a what they call bus rapid transit. And it's a line that's going to go two and a half, nearly two and a half miles uh, up and down Hank Aaron Drive and Capitol Avenue, loops around downtown. Uh, destinations include Georgia State University, uh, whatever the Georgia State University Stadium is called now, the arena as well, and Atlanta City Hall. And so the bus rapid transit, the, the lines are kind of designed like rail lines, and I think this is where a streetcar will eventually go. I really do. I think this is the gateway drug to the streetcar. Um, they sort of mimic rail lines in that the, the 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 buses go in exclusive lanes and stop less frequently. There's not a billion bus stops. That's why, like, I don't like traveling on Greyhound because I stop in every little, you know, blinking light town. Between destinations, no, there are fewer stops, which means that you can get from point A to point B faster. Okay, uh, and passengers are going to, you know, get on at stations with seating and shelters and real-time information. You even get to pay before you get on the bus, so there's not going to be a whole lot of like stopping at the door to get on. The, this is all good stuff. They're going to run every ten to fifteen minutes. These buses will. It'll take about twelve to fifteen minutes to get from one end of the route to the other. And uh, let's see, this was a $66 million contract to build the line and should be open. Why does this take two years? It's going to be two years. Anyway, is uh, pretty excited about this, and they rolled out uh, a little sizzle reel video. We have that for you. I want you to hear it as well. In 2006, when we formed Organized Neighbors of Summerhill... We identified transportation as one of our key needs and we are fulfilling that dream today.
0: What really excites me is the opportunity that we have a station right here at Summer Hill and people know that that is a stopping point along the BRT. Living right over across the stadium is very convenient but going into campus for school you know there is traffic almost every day so being able to get to class conveniently and being able to get to games conveniently mm-hmm. will be incredible for our, our
1: fans and, and myself. I can actually walk from my house within five minutes, hop on the BRT and be downtown at five points in less than 15 minutes. This BRT will create opportunity for residents that have been riding market for years. And guess what? People will make it to work on time. We know this is going to help families lift up out of poverty because they're going to be able to go to jobs, not only in Summerhill, but all throughout the corridor. A well, large
0: majority of restaurant workers and people in the hospitality industry rely on public transportation, and I think this is just amazing, the BRT which will give them reliable transportation often. And we're really excited for the MARTA bus rapid transit system to run through our stadium uh, to showcase the development that we're doing in
1: Summerhill with our partners with Carter. Just over $850 million of capital investment has been deployed in Summerhill or immediately adjacent to Summerhill. And in order for that to work strategically and practically, transit connectivity is critical to that success.
0: There's a lot of history in this community, a lot of longtime residents that have relied on public transportation. I'm excited about the access that they're gonna have to be able to go throughout the city of Atlanta. This is not only the first bus rapid transit system in the city of Atlanta, but it reconnects our community, both downtown and the Summerhill communities, uh, which historically were were separated
1: by an interstate system. We're super excited about the Summerhill BRT. Its ability to bring people from southeast Atlanta uh, to be able to come up and leave their cars at home and come and enjoy what Centennial Yards will have to offer. Downtown is kind of like the beating heart of of, of Georgia. You want it to be lively and you want it to be great, planting our feet here, being the first round of restaurants and business to come in here and being able to be the support of the beating heart, I think that's that's what decided us to come over here. For our business, I think it's essential to uh, be accessible for everyone. We want a wide range of people to view our art. We have a lot of people that take MARTA. I'm just excited to have more transportation options around us. Expanded Transit uh, is definitely going to help this community, uh, my business particularly, grow and everybody around here as well, so that's going to be great. MARTA Rapid is going to connect the residents of Summerhill and Southeast Atlanta to goods and services, and this has been a dream we have been trying to realize for the last 60 years. Thank you, MARTA. and they have some artist conceptualization that shows you what the shelters look like and how the lanes are going to look. This is this is a positive step. I, listen, I know earlier on when we started talking about how they were downgrading uh, uh, rail transit to bus transit, I'm like, "What? I wasn't really excited about this. But I'm excited that at least we are starting to see something. And again, I think the BRT is sort of the gateway drug to the streetcar. Atlanta used to, by the way, have an extensive streetcar network back in the day. You used to take it to Ponce Leon Park. Uh, my friend Greg used to tell me, I oh, used to take the streetcar to Ponce Leon Park to watch the crackers play. So this is a step in the right direction. It, it, is it perfect? No, but I, I do think it's a step in the right direction. I, I'd like to see more of this. Uh, and, and again, we're getting the streetcar extension from uh, not far from where I live, uh, Sweet Auburn, that'll take us now. Down Irwin into the Beltline to Pont City Market. Very exciting stuff. Starting to see more of what uh, the 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 vision is for 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 Martis serving inside the perimeter. And boy, it still would be nice. I mean, even if it's just a BRT, it'd be nice to have a BRT to hop on to get to the battery, which I'm by the way heading to as you're listening to this right now, and fighting the traffic on 75, and then getting off and finding a parking deck and sixty dollars a park, and then walking and. Give me a BRT, please. At, at the minimum. Can I get a BRT? Just We'll, we'll start with the BRT. If it's going to take two seasons, so let's get on this fast, man. A BRT to the battery right away, right? Anyway, excited to see this happening. Uh, I'll share this sizzle reel video in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. More of the Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americawoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast it. Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowetl.com. You can also call me anytime you like, 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener if you don't have a business. I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, links there for you as well.
0: Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at ronshowatl. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: So I know everyone is just laser focused on Trump indictments here in Atlanta. Cop City has grabbed the headlines, but... Quietly behind the scenes. And that's how, that's how the nefarious stuff really tends to happen. Behind the scenes, on May 25th, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled unanimously in favor, unanimously now, in favor of a wealthy Idaho couple by the name of Michael and uh, Chantel Sackett. That was uh, Sackett v. the EPA. 14-year legal battle in which they fought to do construction near protected wetlands without a permit. And... Right-wing media has been spending their time to discredit reactions around the Supreme Court's decisions to gut the Clean Water Act. Uh, media Matters of America, our friends, they are constantly watching media antics. They found that national TV news barely covered this decision to leave millions of acres of wetlands vulnerable and jeopardize, quote, access to safe drinking water to millions of Americans. Joining me to talk about this, Media Matters senior climate energy writer Evlando Cooper. Evlando, how are you?
0: I'm pretty good. How you doing today?
1: I'm good. So, on the whole, you can sort of understand why major media in general hasn't found this story nearly salacious enough to cover with everything else going on. You have to confess that, right?
0: Well, you know, I think it's a matter of priorities. I think there's room to cover the news of the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we also think it's very important to cover stories like this, which have long-term ramifications and harms for millions of people, but mm-hmm. a material harm to the lives of millions of people.
1: But, but the attention span of the American viewer or radio audience is about the now it's about what's, what's affecting me now, what's soon to come, not far reaching, not down the road sort of things. And so if they can go to their sink and open the faucet and get a clean glass of water, they think they're fine. Help me bridge that gap a little bit and uh, let's explain to our listeners why this decision has implications that should chill us to the bone
0: yeah so well first of all the implication that it's clean could very well be false <laughs> yeah we know for a fact <laughs> I mean we know for a fact that there's a lead water crisis that affects millions of people in this country mm-hmm. a lot of them in poor and disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. um, the the Supreme Court has also worked to roll back uh, Clean Air Act protections in West Virginia versus EPA, another decision that they handed down. And we see the impact of wildfire smoke right now on millions of Americans. Mm -hmm. So I think that the implication that, you know, as long as I can open my tap or the air is invisibly dirty, everything's okay, is wrong. Mm -hmm. But I don't put that on the news consumer. It's the media's job to find a way to balance all these priorities and inform people about what's going on in their lives and the things that they need to be aware of mm-hmm. so they can take action on these important issues
1: but do you do you not also see like it like i said there's just been so much that's gone on just this it's just since may 25th there's so much tabloid like stuff in and out of politics that's just grabbed the viewers attention and the the media the way this country is set up it's almost all for-profit media and yes. talking about clean air and water just doesn't it's not as salacious.
0: No, it, it's not salacious, but it, it's meaningful. And not to jump to another topic, but, you know, we see how media covers these issues, and especially the media centers in New York, Washington, we the power centers, mm-hmm. when they're directly affected by it. All right. So, we, you know, we saw a huge uptick in, in coverage about the wildfires right so That has a direct material impact on people who actually report on the news. hmm so, you know, I think that this I think that the Supreme Court decision, if not now, then in the future, when when water quality erodes and people aren't getting uh, the quality of water they're accustomed to and people are being sick and harmed from this, it'll be too late to begin <laughs> to begin covering the issue.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up being, you know, New York being media center. Uh, if you think upriver of New York, you're, you're looking at blue states for the most part that don't have lax yeah. environmental policies. So that may never be an issue for the media center of the free world. Uh, CNN famously just pulled out of Atlanta here recently. So they're not going to be in an area surrounded by red states where they're going to face the impact. Although the water quality in Atlanta is up for much debate, and and, and something we've talked about yeah. a lot here with the uh, South River watershed and the, uh, the Atlanta police uh, training facility slated to go in in southwest DeKalb. But again, it, there, there may not be a foreseeable future where the media center of the world and where a lot of our, uh, you know, journalistic coverage comes from is going to personally be affected by this decision.
0: Yeah, they, you know, it's it's interesting. It's hard to say which specific municipalities or cities may be affected by any specific policy. Mm. So I think beyond kind of naked self-interest, the media has a job to inform people of, of what they need to know, whether they're personally impacted or not. Mm-hmm. But we do know for a fact, if you look at coverage of Hurricane Ida, that no one is going to escape the impacts of climate change largely. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you want to separate into environmental impacts, like I said, we know that that uh, um, disadvantaged communities suffer uh, more from those. But if you look at the larger world of climate impacts, um, we're all in it together. And we need to start treating these issues with the urgency that that, the, that it deserves, that they deserve.
1: We are on with Evlando Cooper, Media Matters Senior Climate and Energy Writer. Well, you know, now that you mention what is and isn't being covered by mainstream media, and this isn't just necessarily a right-wing, left-wing source sort of thing either. ProPublica came out with a, a piece earlier this week that talked about how, like, not long down the road— about a third of humanity will be living in an unlivable area of the earth. We're talking about the uh, the, the equator uh, taking on water as we, we lose sea ice in the Arctic. That's not a story that's making a whole lot of headlines either.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, and I neglected to mention another reason why it's important that at least mainstream news courses, uh, uh, um, networks, divorce, divorce some resources to cover these issues, because in that vacuum right-wing media is covering these issues, but they're covering it uh, using climate misinformation, environmental misinformation. Mm-hmm. So in that vacuum, misinformation thrives, and it actually erodes the public consensus around climate change. It erodes the people uh, wanting to see climate action. Mm-hmm. So it's another reason why news, uh, mainstream news out, uh, outlets have a responsibility to, rec- to cover important climate issues, whether it's global climate issues or national and local climate
1: issues. Unfortunately, the NBC news and the CBS and ABC nightly, they, they have 30 minutes a night. So it's, it's, it's a lot to ask when you have uh, people with, with asthmatic issues, it, like, like we've noticed this week in Baltimore and in and Washington, Philadelphia, and New York, baseball games being canceled. I can't find it throughout major league baseball history, uh, a situation where a, a game had been smoked out because of visibility. Uh I don't, I don't necessarily know where I was going with that, but there's just only so much time. And so I guess the question is, what what, what do we do to, to, to make sure that the mainstream media outlets find the time to cover this? Or is, is it just going to be one of those deals where it's only going to happen when somebody pulls a fire alarm and we, we are literally left with nowhere to go? Well, let
0: me pose a question. All right. Uh, our annual broadcast study looks at uh climate coverage for, for the whole year we've okay. been doing it every year for for a decade now and even in years when the networks are doing ostensibly good climate coverage is still about one percent of the entire coverage for the for the for the year mm-hmm. so do we think that climate change deserves more than one percent of
1: <laughs> news coverage i think we'd both if agree so, to that yeah
0: we think there's a lot of room right there's a lot of room in all that in that coverage for them to Devote more attention to,
1: to climate, and I'd love to dive into what you guys characterize as climate change coverage. Uh, I, again, when you know when a hurricane is striking uh, a coast, uh, do y'all consider that climate change coverage, or is that just normal meteorology uh, meteorological coverage? Or if if someone even mentions climate change in the story, does that count? Does the whole story? You, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I could sit here and mince that uh, uh, a million ways, but uh, I, I guess that's that's one of the questions I would have. So. When I brought up the ProPublica piece earlier, uh, talking about the, the the mass migration, that is, well, we're already seeing the effects of it, and it's only going to get worse over the next, uh, you know, two to three decades. The right doesn't seem to be able to to, to connect those dots either, do they? Uh, they're, they're, they're quick to want to install a wall at the southern border and, and not realize that, well, the, the, the climate change issues that folks living along the equator and south of our border are bringing people here as well.
0: Well, it's interesting. A lot, one, of, one of our concerns and something we're keeping an eye on is the idea that um, eventually we expect to see a shift and we've already saw it a little bit as in, in which term ecofascism, mm. where it becomes undeniable that climate change is driving um, migration from the global south. Then that in turn becomes cause for a more nationalistic, even more so now than we hear, um, around the issue of immigration, a more nationalistic approach to keep and keep out of the country. There are going to be issues around internal migration, depending on um, climate impacts on the South and the East Coast. So, um, whether they, you know, poo pooed idea of climate change now, the material reality is they're going, it's, it's, we're going to see more of these kind of migrations and we have to be prepared to push back on those who would, um, push, uh, eco-fascist, um, notions and policies.
1: We're on with Evlando Cooper. He is the Media Matters for America Senior Climate and Energy writer. He is on to discuss the lack of, not just disparate, but complete lack of environmental coverage. Recent Supreme Court ruling uh, basically has given Katie Barr the door to those who wish to uh, toxify your drinking water. Uh, Evlando, who's doing a credible job of covering this stuff?
0: I mean, I have to give uh, props to a lot of print and online uh, news outlets. Typically, you see much more deeply in terms of reported stories about these issues. Um, and every now and then, we, you know, in our work, we try to highlight notable segments good. Um, from cable and broadcast news where, where they where they do a good job of kind of covering the whole issue. Mm-hmm. We do want to give kudos to that. I think our biggest concern is the lack of consistency in coverage of these stories. And so we would like to see um, an increased volume and increased consistency in how um, in how they report on, on environmental stories like the Supreme Court decision.
1: Is there a sense of audience fatigue when it comes to talking about climate change and environmental impact by industry?
0: That's interesting. I mean, know something we've heard some journalists um, say. Like I say, I think with 1% of coverage, I think there is concern that the constant um, doomsday coverage of climate could be audience fatiguing, but mm-hmm. there's no rules there's no and they can't report on climate solutions. There are a lot of exciting things happening in the renewable energy space. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a lot of uh, things happening in the activist space. There are people trying to push climate policy, climate mitigation policies that could stop some of the worst consequences of climate change. So we want to see more reporting on that as well, on solutions-oriented reporting as well, not just the doom and
1: gloom. I got you. I got you. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I I almost get a sense of uh, fatalistic eventualism. Where like, it's, well, there's nothing we can do about it. It's already going to happen. Whatever yeah, it is, you know, it's
0: interesting. I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I think even as the case, um, I think they still have a journalistic responsibility to present the problem as is, mm-hmm. and also to pre- pre- present solutions because. You know, the fatalism isn't up to the journalists gatekeeping the issue. It's up to the people to decide how they want to enact these policies in their lives. But if they don't know about it, they don't know about the consequences, if they don't know about the potential solutions, then there are a lot of people that would do something about climate change, that Mm. would do something about environmental uh, degradation, that just don't have the information they need to do so.
1: Fair enough, man. You've got a hard job. Senior climate energy writer Evlando Cooper with Media Matters for America. You can find his reporting at MediaMatters.org. Thanks for doing the good work and keep uh, keep these journalists honest, my man. Keep them busy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Stand by. More Ron show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment for the Ron Show today before I head to Truist Park to watch our Atlanta Braves. First place Atlanta Braves take on the Colorado Rockies. It is Pride Night for the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, I know I've spent a lot of time kind of chortling and bristling and bemoaning some of the reaction, uh, especially on social media. Like when the Braves announced Pride Night on Twitter and Facebook, where's straight Pride Night? Where's where's this Pride Night? Where's... Christian pride night but these are the same folks that don't realize that well every night is straight pride night because you don't need to celebrate having to have been raised in ostracization uh, bullying and demonizing uh, or or you know the the questioning uh, from within about your attraction to other human beings they do have concerts after the game Christian rock concerts, Christian pop, Christian uh, adult contemporary acts, post-game concerts, all the time. They have all these things all the time. So while well, I could sit here and bemoan that, and I'm, you know, a little twerp right now off with the, the the folks at like Target and Kohl's who get bullied by the minority, the vast minority in this country who want to march into their stores and and, and, and be hostile to the product or the the the... the employees or even the customers, instead of hiring an additional security guard just to ward these morons off, they retreated. There's like no pride merch in a Target store now. I've been in three Target stores in the last two weeks and I've seen none of it. And I'm not going to boycott them. I understand sort of what their reaction is, but I feel like they're not exactly standing behind the LGBTQ community, right? The Atlanta Braves are. And I don't, you know, they. I'm sure they get the backlash, and I'm sure, you know, there may be a smattering of groans and whatnot tonight. I don't know. I I don't know. I know that when I go to the game, they don't make a big deal about it. the The big A, the the Atlanta A sign that swirls in the right field corner. It'll be rainbow colored tonight. I'm sure it, it is. Any other season, I've done it in the past. And I mean, what are you going to do? Boo that? There's no really way to boo that. It'll just be like that all night. And I want to give props to my buddy, Kevin Biscuit-Hill, who will be throwing out the first pitch tonight. He, of course, is representing the softball league that I'm on the board for, Hotland of Softball. Way to go, Biscuit. I'm sure he's been working on this. <laughs> uh, also, they will be uh, honoring Justin Smith from Positive Impact. The Atlanta Women's Course, I believe, is singing the National Anthem. Very cool. Comedian uh, Kia Barnes will be at the Roxy There will be like a a pregame fashion show with all the Pride merch that'll be on display. It's going to be a ton of fun. Really looking forward to that. And uh, again, I spent a lot of time complaining about the entities and businesses that have taken a step backwards. And even you could complain about those that just splash the rainbow colors on their logo and slap it up for a month on their social media and call it a day and do nothing to actually engage in the community. The Atlanta Braves in Major League Baseball, and and let's let's include, by the way, uh, Major League Soccer and the Atlanta United, I mean, they have a huge LGBTQ following, and they know it, and they cater to them. The Atlanta Hawks, they're in every pride parade I have witnessed or been a part of. The Atlanta Hawks have been involved in it for a long time. The Atlanta Falcons, this last season, let's see what they do this season. Last season, I believe it's the first time I've seen the Atlanta Falcons actually involved in Atlanta Pride. They even had a a, a Pride ticket package last year. And, and maybe that's what it's all about. I don't know. But you get the sense that the NFL, they, they, you know, the right says go won't go broke, but the NFL ain't going broke. The NBA ain't going broke. Major League Baseball ain't going broke. The Braves are certainly not going broke. They're shattering attendance records. Tonight's uh, uh, turnout will be more than 30,000 guarantee, And the place only holds like 38. It may be a sellout. I don't know. But there will be a great crowd tonight. I, for one, appreciate that these organizations aren't just doing it just to do it, just to be showy. And I, I think there is some of that. What do they, what do they call that? Um, where you just kind of make a display. Oh, what's the term? The right uses all the time. I'm totally drawing a blank. That's it. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. I don't think this is just virtue signaling. I mean, the Atlanta Braves Foundation has been integral to supporting marginalized communities, communities of color, women, the LGBTQ+. They have uh, a foundation that uh, provides grants to aid in organizations to broaden not just the game, but their impact on the community. And involving the game and the team, the organization, I, I, it's just it's all it's all been fantastic. And I am again looking forward to heading to Truist Park. Actually, I'm if you're listening to this at this point in time, I'm already there. But I'm looking forward to hobnobbing with my friends pregame. It's just it's it's so invigorating. As a kid who grew up in the '80s watching the Braves on the superstation, a closeted gay kid who never dreamed that he'd be able to go to a Braves game and be welcomed for who I am, you just can't, it's hard to, you can't minimize this impact. It's, it's goosebump inducing. I'm super appreciative uh, that Major League Baseball and the Atlanta Braves do this. So uh, again, I, I feel like as much complaining as I've done about the targets and the Coles and the backtracking from corporate entities that had before done this virtue signally thing, and I sense some of that too, I can appreciate the fact that the team that I grew up watching since the early 1980s through a lot of bad and a lot of good, and again, thankfully, we're riding high again. It, it's just nice to feel like I'm not just welcome, but encouraged to gather with my community at that ballpark. Anyway, that's why I'm whipping through today's show with as little production quality as possible because... I got a ball game to get to. So whatever you're doing tonight, maybe you're watching the Braves. Enjoy your evening. Enjoy your day tomorrow. We'll be back here 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. You can catch clips at RonShowATL.com and we'll see you tomorrow.